Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 23rd, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of John, chapter 13. What a powerful chapter this is. We're going to gain insights into the closing hours of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that what hour am I talking about? What hour are we going to be looking at? The hour that he should depart from this world to the Father. You see, this was the hour that Jesus had been born for. It was the hour when he would lay down his life, the season, the time when he would lay down his life as a sacrifice for man's sins. He would pay the penalty for man's sins. And the scripture notes, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What a testimony of the goodness and graciousness and generosity and love of God that's expressed in Jesus, the Messiah. The scripture says his hour had come. No man could take his life from him. No man did take his life from him. He laid down his life willingly. He could have called legions of angels, Ask. Peter that, because Peter heard those words in the Garden of Gethsemane when he tried to take off the head of the servant of the high priest. Verse 2 says, and supper being ended, it was an evening meal. Why? This was not just any meal. This was the Passover meal. For generations, the Jews had been telling the story and retelling the story of the exodus from Egyptian bondage. And the children were involved in it. The family were involved in it. Why? Because God never wanted the people to forget what happened to them when God brought them into being as a nation. And that happened after the Exodus as they were in the wilderness of Sinai when God constituted them as an official nation that would represent God down through the ages. And so when the supper was ended, this Passover meal, the scripture says as a parenthetical statement, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the only one of the disciples that was not from the Galilee, Simon's son, that is, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, given all authority, all power into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. When Jesus knew that all authority, power, everything was given into his hands, he didn't say, now I'm going to rule with a rod of iron. No, that day is coming. But the Bible says he rose up from the table and laid aside his garments, took a towel, wrapped himself up, and it girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was wrapped up. Now, this is very important. We know, for the most part, what happened that night because it has happened over and over again for generations. Jesus was following a Haggadah, a Haggadah, if you will, 
an order of service that had been established. Yes, it varied from family to family. Yes, it varied from village to village. Yes, it varied from priest to priest. But the reality is, ever since the Exodus, the story had been told and retold over and over again about God's redemption of his people from Egyptian slavery and bondage. And so it was reenacted every year through various uh, elements on the table, through the wine, through the lamb, through what they ate, through the unleavened bread, every aspect of this great meal, this great supper in the evening was to remind the people of God's goodness, who God is, what he had done, what he was doing among them, to pass it on to the next generation. It was an order. It was an ordinance from God himself. And it is elaborately laid out what to do, but not how to do it. And so down through the centuries, the people doing this, they formed an order of service called a Haggadah. And that order of service was so predictable because, as I said, it would vary in the colors and the nuances of how each family or each person did it. But the elements were the same. You can listen to some of the podcasts past. You can write me for material. We'll give you the downloadable form of it where you can do this in your church and have a Passover in your area and teach people the truths of redemption that are only taught like they are in living color in the Passover. So we know where John was sitting that night. We know where Judas was sitting that night. One was on one side of Jesus and one on the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus and Judas were dipping from the same bowl. Peter, on the other hand, was across the U-shaped table from them. He was guarding the door that night. He was also assigned to wash the disciples' feet simply because he was the servant that night. He was the one that was, if something needed to be done, he would do it. This was a very important role that he had, and part of his role was the washing of the feet. It was to, as they reclined, take care of them. And John, who was the youngest, he was asked the questions. This is why people often say, well, why did Peter say to John, you ask him and he'll tell you? Because during the Passover Seder, this Passover meal, the youngest in the Jewish family always asked the questions. You say, well, I thought the oldest would do that. No, there's only one who is the older son, but every son, every child has the position of the youngest at some time. And so the youngest always asked the questions. Why? Because this was a meal to pass on to the next generation. How do we learn best? By participation. And so this was done every year the same way. So much so because repetition is the mother of learning. And there were all of these glorified object lessons, all of this sensory perception and touch at the Passover. 
Everyone had a place. Everyone had a element of participation. Everyone. And John was the one that was assigned to ask the questions. Why? Because he was the youngest. And so as people were asking, well, am I the one that's going to betray you? Because Jesus had said, one of you will betray me this very night. And so they began to talk among themselves. Is it you? Is it I? Are we going to? No. And so Peter looked over at John. He was across the table from him, literally on the other side, the other table. And he looked at John and said, you ask him. He probably didn't do that loud. Everybody was talking. It's what you do at a meal. They were fellowshipping. They were talking about what everything was going on, the different elements of the supper itself. And so Peter said, you ask him, he'll tell you why. Because John was assigned to ask the questions. And so he said, Lord, who is it? He just leaned back. You see, they were reclining. That's what free men did. The Lord's table was not like Da Vinci's uh, painting where they're all sitting straight up and at a long long table, one on one end, one on the other. No, they were reclining. It was a beautiful picture of free men. Why? Because they had been brought out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. And so they were reclining. And so John had the end spot of one table, Peter on the other. They were facing each other in the sense of they were reclining at a certain angle. And, and Jesus was right behind John as the second person, as the master of the ceremony itself. And so John just laid his head back, just leaned back on his bosom, looked up into his eyes and said, Lord, who is it? And he immediately told him Judas. He said, the one that is dipping in the bowl with me, and that would have been Judas. Everyone knew who it was because John asked him. And if they could hear, they could hear it. If not, then they got the point after a while because it became obvious. But when Jesus had finished with his part of leading the supper and everything had been done, he stood up and he took a towel and he took a a piece of cloth and, and covered himself. And then the scripture says, when he realized that everything had been given unto him, that now the last domino had fallen, the, the meal was finished, the great thing that they were doing had come to an end. Then the scripture says that Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. Peter said unto him, Lord, Are you washing my feet? Why would he say that? Why did Peter say that? Was it because he had a big mouth? No, no, no. Because he was the leader of the disciples? No. It was because it was his duty that night to do it. And Jesus was infringing upon his duty. And Peter was taking that seriously. He said, Lord, are you washing my feet? The unwritten word was, I'm supposed to be washing your feet. That was his assignment that night. And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing You do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter didn't. And Peter said unto him, you will never wash my feet. That is evidence of what Jesus had just spoken is true. Peter didn't get it. And so he said, you will never wash my feet. And then Jesus answered him and shocked him. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, that was very worthy. But what Jesus said to him became clear in verse 10, because you see, as you read verse 10, there are two words that are used here in the text for cleansing. 
And Jesus said unto him, He who is bathed, who has taken a bath, who is washed completely, the word is luo. It's, it's, it's even used for washing from sin, total cleansing from sin. But it's the idea of taking a full bath, of dipping yourself, of cleansing yourself completely. He who is cleansed completely needs only to wash, and the word is not luo, it's the word nipto. That's the root word, which is the word for cleanse as in washing your hands. In other words, if you are doing life you're and walking around, your feet, even though you've just had a bath, if you're just walking around, you're going to be on the floor and your feet are going to need to be wiped off. They need to be cleansed. Same thing with your hands. You're touching things. You need to wash your hands, but you don't need to take a bath every time you need to wash your hands. You just need to cleanse your hands. So Jesus said the one who has been washed, has been cleansed, doesn't need to wash everything, just his feet. Why? Because you're already completely clean, but you've been defiled. You've gotten dirty. So let me wash you, Peter, and you'll be clean. And he said, you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray. And therefore he said, you're not all clean. And so he washed their feet, taking his garments, and sat down again. And he said unto them, Do you know what I have done unto you? You call me teacher. You call me rabbi. You call me didaskalos and Lord. And you say, Well, for I am. For I am. Jesus said, I am Lord. I am your teacher. If I then, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he's not giving an ordinance. He's telling them, you need to be a servant one to the other. You need to clean up after one another. You need to help one another. You need to humble yourself before one another. That's what he's saying. He's not giving an ordinance, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Hold on. I know you've got questions. For Jesus said, I have given you an example, a tupois, a type. I've given you a pattern. I've given you a model that you should do as I've done unto you. Amen, amen. Most assuredly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. You're the servant. I'm the master. You just said that. I just said that. Nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. He said, I and the father are one. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not just know about them, not just have the head knowledge, but you do them, you act them out. Now, at this point, many times people will say, well, then we need to be washing one another's feet like we take communion and baptism. Evangelicals primarily have two ordinances. What's an ordinance? An order is a continuing standing order. It's something that you do on a repeated fashion in a repeated way in order to teach a particular repeated truth. That's an ordinance in practical language and definition. And so uh, most evangelicals, except for a few denominations and groups, uh, who do foot washing uh, and put that at the same level that they put communion and baptism, it's primarily communion and baptism. Why? Why not foot washing? Because foot washing has to do with service beyond salvation to one another, humbling ourselves. Do we need to wash one another's feet? You better believe it. Have I done that in churches? Yes. I've done it in the present church that I've pastored. I did in churches that I've had, I've washed people's feet, sometimes publicly, sometimes privately. Why? Because it's humbling. 
You have to get down low to do that. You have to get on your knees to do that. You have to love and respect the person that you're doing this to, or you're a hypocrite from the very heart out. And so all I'm saying is, is it a worthy activity? Yes. Is it an act of obedience? Yes. Are we following in the pattern and example of Jesus? Yes. Is it an ordinance? No. Why? Because an ordinance has to do in the scriptures in the New Testament with proclaiming something. Proclaiming what? Proclaiming the good news. You see, baptism and communion together form the gospel in picture. The Apostle Paul said about communion, about the Lord's table, about the Lord's supper, about the last supper, ever how you want to call it in your particular belief system, communion, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is to show the death, the substitutionary death of Jesus. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, as often as you drink this cup, as often as you eat this bread, he didn't say how often to do it, but he said, as often, whenever you do it, listen to this, you do show forth, you're showing, you're acting out. It's the drama of redemption. You are acting out his death until he comes. That's how long you're to do it. You're to do it as often as you do, ever how often that is. It's not prescribed that every time you gather together. Was that the pattern of the New Testament? Yes. Is that the way that they did it in all places at all times? Every time they gather together, we don't see them doing this, but it was a regular basis. Why? Because it is an object lesson, just like the Passover is an object lesson. It's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's a means of teaching. Every time we have communion, we emphasize the substitutionary death of Jesus, his atonement. Well, what about baptism? Baptism, when you go under that water, you see baptism is symbolic of a grave. It's a watery grave. And every time you go under that water, you are showing the Lord's death, his burial. When you come out of that water, you're showing his resurrection. That's what Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says. We are buried with him in baptism unto death and were raised to walk in a new kind of life. We show his resurrection. We are identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but specifically his burial and resurrection. So communion, the Lord's table, shows his death, his substitutionary death. Baptism shows his burial and resurrection. The two together show the substitutionary, vicarious death, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day. Now, what is the good news? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and following, the Apostle Paul said, I declare unto you what I know you stand in and what you're saved in, and that is the euangelion. He said, this is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and was seen alive. That's the gospel. And that is shown through communion, which shows his substitutionary death, baptism, which shows his burial and his resurrection. Now, foot washing is a great thing to do. But it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has to do with the Christian life. And that's why Jesus set the pattern for that.
The gospel is how we enter into the Christian life, and that is portrayed through baptism and communion. But foot washing is how we show how we serve one another. Jesus was Lord of all, yet he humbled himself and served his fellow believers, his fellow man. He served those who were his followers, who were his followers. Certainly those of us who are just followers, not Lord, but followers, should humble ourselves and serve one another. I pray that this is a blessing to you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.